God was just simply telling him, I don't need all the fanfare. I can just do this by simply saying it. So get up. Hello, this is the Adventure Through the Bible podcast. My name is Matt, and joining me today are your friends and mine, Amy. Good morning. And Karen. Good morning. And Tracy. Good morning. Good morning, and it is morning, too. The sun's not even up here, I don't think. <laughs> I suppose it is in Kentucky, but here it's, well, it's overcast and dark and cold, so. Oh, it's super overcast here. It rained all night. We got a rainy week. Yeah, it's that suck of winter right now. <laughs> Hey, I've been uh, seeing, I just saw this, my wife was berating me for not paying attention earlier, but I was seeing that there's a there's a comet that's going to be coming through here um, in the, oh, in the near future, or if it's not already. You guys seen anything about this thing? Just no. a giant bomb scouring powder? <laughs> yeah, it's going to start, cool. we should be able to see it starting... Um, It'll like start through Ursa Major and Ursa Minor and go across the night sky for, I don't know, it was like about a month. It'll line up with Mars there for a little bit. Um, oh, cool. It's got, yeah, it's got some kind of weird, it doesn't have a cool name. It's like, I don't even remember what it was, but. Uh, like X753 or something? Yeah. <laughs> trying to find, there it is. It's it's called, let me see here, Comet C2022E3. Yeah, exactly. Gracious. Yeah, so some you know boring, but it's always cool to see them if it's if it's going to be anything worth seeing. I guess it's maybe not a super big thing, but always cool to see those cool meteorological. That's not oh, a meteorological yeah. thing, is it? That's a. <laughs> but uh, cosmic, but, cosmic, yeah, cosmic. Those cosmic things out there are kind of cool. The other thing I've been following with astronomy, I don't even, I wouldn't count myself as a, as a, uh, even as a, uh, an amateur astronomer. I just have a mild interest in some of it, but there's been talk about a couple of black holes that have been orbiting each other and could possibly converge in the next, I don't know, like thousand days or something like that, but it would cause a bright, it could cause a, uh, you know, a brightness in the sky. It's supposed to be like one of the brightest stars in the sky when it happens. And that could be. That could be a really cool thing to see, too. I have a friend who is an amateur astronomer, and he um, had a bunch of friends getting together one night. And, oh, my goodness. Like, when you say amateur astronomer, all that means is somebody's not paying you. But these people were serious. Yeah. And they had homemade telescopes. We were up on ladders looking through these telescopes. They have tracking devices so that, you know, as the moon shifts or as a constellation shifts, so does their telescope. And I was like, whoa. Mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I've always been interested by what's out there, and it always makes me feel super, super small. Just, yeah. just absolutely insignificantly tiny to think mm-hmm. about how big some of those things are out there. Especially with, you know, I remember well, it was like when the Hubble telescope was first getting popular, and I remember them talking. There was a, a photo I saw, and I think they said if you were to look at the night sky and take, I think it was like a square inch of the night sky. Um, and then this photo they took from the, from that telescope was just full of lights and they, and and those, every one of those lights, thousands of them, those are entire galaxies, just galaxies, not even, not even just stars, but entire galaxies. And it's just, 
It's we just... are not going to be bored in heaven. No, no, an eternity to explore all of that. Just, uh, it's absolutely fascinating the stuff that we can learn from the by looking up in the sky and just, just amazing, absolutely amazing. But it also makes you think. You know, my problems really aren't that big of a deal. <laughs> oh, I love it. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. Okay, yeah. but the flip side of this, the flip side of that, my problems aren't that really b that big of a deal, is that when I get that perspective, I tend to sit back and not go to God with my problems because he mm. has bigger things to worry about, right? So mm -hmm. that actually, I have to be careful with that. Like I need to be put in my place, right? I need to understand that the things are bigger than me, but I also need to not get so small in my mind that it's not even worth taking my concerns to my father, right? Mm. That is that is a thing I have to watch. Yeah. Yeah. He's holding up the world's he's holding up like the stars in the sky. He doesn't need to worry about my issues. <laughs> right. Yeah. What is man that thou art mindful of him? <laughs> right. Uh, well, also though one time I went to a synagogue in San Francisco when I was in college and the rabbi said something that really stuck with me. Um remember that thou art but dust, but that the universe was created for your sake. Mm. And I was like, that's a good perspective. Like, keep it in balance, you know, understand your frailty, but also understand how much he loves us, you know? So that was kind of cool. Yeah, very cool. Dust in the wind. <laughs> All we are is dust in the wind. <laughs> in the solar winds. <laughs> okay, that was that was the small little part of my brain that's actually smart to remember something from any of this, you know? <laughs> All right, well, let's get into our discussion for today. Today, we are going to be talking about John chapter 5. And this is, uh, it's an interesting story. Now, we've got to remember, Jesus has been walking all around what we know as the Holy Land these days. And, uh, you know, he's been, we've seen him do some healings. We've seen him shaking things up a little bit, challenging some norms here and there. And uh, it's, it's no different with what we'll be reading today. So in John chapter 5, we begin with this story. It's an interesting story, and it's, you know, it's kind of one that I don't, I don't think we get anything quite like it anywhere in Scripture. We certainly don't get it from the other Gospels. And so this is a story coming only from John, and it's about this pool, this, I mean, literally a, a pool of water in an area called Bethesda. And this pool attracts people from all around, people who are sick, people who are lame, crippled, whatever. They have something wrong with them. And people would wait around this pool for an opportunity to get in. Now, before I go too far on this, though, I want to ask each one of you about verse four. First of all. Uh, yes. <laughs> okay. Uh, if you're reading a, a King James or a New King James version, you get this interesting little uh, sentence in verse four. But if you're reading an NIV, verse four is not there. Okay. Um, so I want to I want to talk a little bit about that here. So in the New King James, verse four says that the reason everybody is is hanging around this pool is that let's see. Um, for an angel went down at a certain time into the pool and stirred up the water. Then whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was made well of whatever disease he had. Okay. So this is a bit of an elephant in the room that's worth 
worth uh, uh, talking about and addressing, and that is that this verse doesn't show up in all of the translations. Like I said, it's not in the NIV. It goes from, it's interestingly goes from verse three to verse five in the NIV. Um, I've got a parallel Bible, which has four, four versions and translations all right next to each other. So I can see this, but my, my NIV column has mm -hmm. a little number where it's going to be verse four and then a sub foot, a footer note, right? And then at the note, it says some manuscripts include here, wholly or in part, and then it has a, a block of text. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I get, I, I know that when different translations were put together, they followed their understanding of the oldest or the truest manuscripts. Mm -hmm. Usually the oldest ones are considered the truest unless they show signs of corruption somehow. So that's interesting to me that they chose to leave that out. Yeah, see, my NIV note says that it, that this was actually probably added later, which is interesting. Um, yeah, mine just says some manuscripts. Yeah, so I don't know. And I know that this kind of a question can raise some people's hackles about the accuracy of the Bible. And so I thought it was worth oh, yeah. talking. Yeah, you know, I thought it was worth talking about here. It doesn't bother me that much. Honestly, that verse always bothered me a little more than anything else because it seems so out of character with God. Um, well, I think that is important what you're saying. Like, it shouldn't bother us too much because there are people who spend their entire life trying to figure these manuscripts out for us. And, mm -hmm. you know, that's a very legitimate area of study. And so probably what has been discovered is that you know, maybe in the Masoretic text or maybe in the Septuagint or something, or no, it wouldn't be in the Septuagint because that was just the Old Testament. But, you know, maybe in some of those older manuscripts, it wasn't there. And then later on, some monk or something was like, hey, I wonder why they did that and added that. And so now more modern scholars have been digging back into the information and finding that that wasn't there to begin with. So mm -hmm. that's that's very much the most likely scenario. And I agree with you, that's not very much like what we know of Jesus, like he wouldn't let one person be healed and let others scramble for, you know, attention and mm -hmm. then be like, bummer for you. <laughs> right. Okay. Yeah. So, that was the okay. But so what if though, like, look what the guy says, the, the invalid or, you know, the, the sick man. Yeah. It's um, hard to know what to call it. In verse you don't want seven. To in, well, that was from attention. two different translations. So the New yeah. King James says the sick man and mm -hmm. NIV says the invalid. So in the in the New King James, it says the sick man answered him, sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water mm -hmm. is stirred up. Mm -hmm. But while I am coming, another steps down before me. And the NIV has that also. Interesting. So that implies oh, that there's a, a some kind of process that is that could be explained by the, the mysterious verse four. So it's not like it's unaddressed completely. Mm -hmm. It just isn't addressed directly in all manuscripts. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But it's an There's odd protocol there. It's just, it's it feels. Yeah. You get yeah. down in it the best you can. And yeah, it does. So, sounds like a mad scramble though. So I just want to say Tracy and I have actually been someplace like this. Um, so it was we were traveling in nepal with um our you know some friends and one of them had been there before and he took us to a place called pashipanti and i don't know if i'm saying it right what do you think tracy yes that's a, that's good 
Okay. And um, anyway, it was, it was so sad because rather than knowing that God was there and that he was healing people actively, these people were laying beside the water waiting to be put into the water after they died. Um, mm. And that was how they buried their dead. They just like put the bodies in the river. Uh, it was, uh, it was something else though, to be in a place where that sort of thing is normal and the sick and the dying are just laying beside, you know, these rivers and these pools. Uh, that was, that was very interesting. I definitely thought of this story. Mm. Yeah. Huh. That is interesting. And so, but you know, it leaves me wondering, is this more of a superstition that people had? Were people actually experiencing healings here? The text doesn't really doesn't really answer that question. I mean, it just says, you know, this man, he says that there's always somebody who gets in before me. Um, yeah, it addresses the belief of it, but it doesn't address whether it's actually happening. Yeah, right, right. right. And so that's where that's where that added verse to me. Um, you know, if this was added later by some monk in the Middle Ages, Dark Ages, whenever, um, you know, that's, that's an indicator that... That's uh, that's an instance of some superstition getting put in because I mean, like the Dark Ages were a rather superstitious time. A lot of things, a lot of aspects of Christianity got, and not and not necessarily biblical Christianity, but just Christianity got snuck into uh, beliefs during that time. And you know, largely it's because people didn't have the word to to read for themselves; they had to trust what other people were telling them and. And uh, at a time when superstition was just so rampant, you know, it wouldn't be hard for someone to just come up with this idea that, well, an angel would get in there and stir things up. And and then, you know, first one in, you know, gets but shouldn't, a little bit but of shouldn't the proof be in the pudding or are we or are we talking about placebo effect here? Because it seems to me that if right. something comes along and stirs the water and there's a, a big you know scramble of people that go down in there, somebody ought to come out feeling better. Or at some point, it's just dumb. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and you know, we don't get an indication here really of how long people had been doing this. We know that this man had been sick for 38 years. Uh, had he been laying there for 38 years? That sort of seems unlikely to me, but um, I don't know. Yeah. So possibly people were getting healed by this. Uh, and, but the whole thing just doesn't feel... This doesn't feel like the way God works, you know? Yeah, like the lottery, the lottery effect. Like who gets the blessing today depends who's the fastest. Come on, guys, compete. (laughs) Yeah, that's a little odd. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so even if this was happening, I don't, I really just don't believe that this is from God because, you know, if, if, if we believe in a, in a devil, in Satan, Lucifer, whatever you want to call him, who can put ailments on people, he can also take them off and this is his way of somehow just messing with people um i don't know i don't know exactly what the situation is here but it certainly attracted jesus's attention enough for him to go check it uh go check it out and he comes in and he sees this guy who's been there for uh 38 years and he asks him what i think is an extremely important question and it is, do you want to be made well? I don't know about you, but I have known people who wallow in their suffering, if you will, 
but it's sometimes it's almost questionable if they really want to get over the suffering or if they just want to complain about it. And maybe that's me getting a little judgmental here. And I'll, I'll own that if you'd like. No, I but. think I think you take it on as a persona. <laughs> I think that sometimes becomes part of your your psyche, your mentality, your your personality that it's your affliction. That's mm-hmm. you now, mm-hmm. you know, where where most of the time a person is, you know, what they do, their career, their family, what have you, um, what they what they value in life and i think with him the person that's being talked about here that was his life being afflicted and just laying there waiting mm-hmm. for a blessing but not really i think part of me make of the story i have written down here what were his beliefs what did he really believe in jesus or is he it was it the belief in in just holding out for that miracle the swirling water, you know, what yeah. was his relationship? Because if you look at the question and this is where it comes in, is that, do you want to be made well? We, well, yeah, I've been laying here 38 years, mm-hmm. but he doesn't say that. Right. Right. Yeah. He comes with an excuse. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I don't, I don't have anybody to put me in the water. Yeah. An interesting deflection. So I'm I'm wondering, like, you know, Jesus seems to have always been very intentional about who he, you know, lots of people came to him, but he goes out of his way to find certain individuals. And, you know, I think of the woman, uh, what was she, the Syrophoenician woman? You know, we always look at those texts and think, man, Jesus is being a little harsh or he's really giving, he's schooling the disciples on their improper treatment of outsiders, you know, that kind of thing. But if you read carefully, you also notice that it says he goes over the water, he heals that woman's daughter, and then he goes over the water. Like, he didn't do anything else while he was there. They didn't even eat lunch. Like, he went looking for that woman. And so I'm wondering about this guy, too. Just, just you know, kind of curious if he was praying in the morning and the father said, hey, let's go take care of that guy today, you know. Yeah, it is interesting. I was kind of wondering the same thing. It's like, why this guy? Because if this place is filled with people wanting to get better, if there's, you know, people who are sick, peril, you know, you know, all those ailments that we read about in the Bible, you know, mm-hmm. um, and if it's full of those people, why this guy? And it's, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, it's interesting that he would pick this particular man out. And yes. uh, we don't always know why we don't always know why you know and it's a it's a it's another valid question for us to ask is like sometimes why does god heal some people and not other people you know because some people they you know they could be praying earnestly every single day for healing from something um you know we see children with with cancer and they and they don't they don't get healed from it and uh you know parents and and you know any number of people different people Mm -hmm. some get healed some don't and we don't really know why and i know that 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 really bothers some people it's a it's sort of a sticky spot sometimes because um you know we still try to maintain our faith through that or maintain that well god knows better than me and so i'm going to trust him so there's someone who goes to our church um who lost their son as a young man and he um had been one of my students before I was a veterinarian. And uh, when he got sick, you know, I was praying with him, I was talking to him and I was really 
also wondering why God wasn't doing it. And from his lips, from the, the young man, you know, he said, you know, everybody keeps asking me, why, why me? And he said, why not me? We live in a fallen world and people die. Hmm. And that was so profound to me and also helpful because sometimes when we look at Jesus ministry, we're seeing the heart of God. Like this is what he wants to do. He wants to heal us. He wants to make us whole. This is what he came to do. But we still live in occupied enemy territory and we, you know, we sometimes, or we still have to deal. That's the norm. The norm is that people die Mm -hmm. and then someday he's going to make everything right. You know, in in Revelation, he says, "I, I go to make all things new. So the plan is dying stops, but for now it doesn't always work out that way. Mm-hmm. It's, it's for some reason there's not, he's, he's not always able to do those things for us right now. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't know if I'd say not able to. Yeah. Able's the wrong word, but, but something to do like with the ultimate plan, he mm-hmm. doesn't always do that in this moment. I don't know. Yeah, I am. I'm not being very articulate, so I'll stop. (laughs) No, no, I think I understand what you're saying, though. You know, (laughs) he he has the ability to do it. But like you say, we still we still live in a sinful world. And if he was just healing everybody and, and, you know, I guess he could pick and choose and, well, this guy's nice and he's good. And so I'm going to heal him. But this guy's evil and wicked, so I'm not going to heal him. You know, then he's playing favorites. I have not seen it play out that way. No, no, exactly. Exactly. Sometimes awful people get better and sometimes really good people um, don't. And um, I don't know. It's it's you, you have to meditate on it a bit and crawl, you know, try to get yourself to crawl inside the mind of God if you can. And just understand that in a sinful world. It's maybe not practical for him to heal everybody all the time. Sometimes he's got to let sin play out, those effects of sin. Um, We'll get down a little later about what the effects of sin are. So what you just said is really important. Like part of what's going on is this great controversy between Christ and Satan. And we are living in the place that Satan rules and where Satan rules, you know, there's death and it's ugly. And in places where he rules completely, it's way worse, you know? So we have to, we have to learn. And we often learn some of that from scripture. Like the scriptures are pretty clear about that fact, you know, in places where Satan has full control, uh, things are very much worse. So I, I don't know. I'm just thinking about that. And then I'm also thinking about my own experience is that usually miraculous healings and things like that happen with individuals who are new in the faith or are not currently believers and the Lord is showing himself to them. And so there's a sense in which he uses it to reveal the kingdom of God to individuals who don't already know. But in his way of thinking, death is just sleep. And so he doesn't look at it the same way we do. He's like calm about it. And he's like, you're going to sleep for a little while, but I'm going to wake you up. And, and so we have, that's the perspective that the scriptures also give us. Yeah. I mean, the, the way that sin plays out here in the world, we're definitely caught up in the, in the crosshairs of that particular aspect of war. We're not free of the results of sin. And I, I, 
in in my mind, the way I picture it is like I have my little my little space where my free will reaches out and impacts things, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then so does everybody else. Everybody else has their little space where their free will reaches out and impacts things. And my free will cannot override the free will of the people who dump crap into the air and the water and the food. And my free will cannot override someone else's direct intent of evil if my space inter inter interacts with their space, right? If I cross their path in the middle of their nefarious plans, I will become fallout. If I live in a world where disease happens by accident or by intention, I will become fallout, even if I'm very, very careful with my health. So that's one way to look at it is like, is like my faith doesn't insulate me because of the atmosphere where I live. And then the other thing is, I also genuinely believe that if we as Christians were protected from the fallout of sin, we would probably lose our Christianity. We'd get comfortable. You know, complacent. even like we'd fallout. Get we'd be protected. Yeah. Huh? Like, I like that word that you use, fallout, you know, or collateral damage. Um, yes. Very you nice. know, is that... It, it is, and we've said it over and over. It's that we live in in a fallen world, and where death is more is prevalent. That that was the wages of sin. And while God can still do um, miraculously he healings, it's not prevalent. It's not all the time. It happens. It can happen. I think that's that's part of the having faith, but also knowing that it. Sometimes it doesn't happen. That's not part of the plan. And it's hard. I think that's what makes it hard. And 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 some people lose their faith over it. Some people's faiths are strengthened. But it's one of those those mysteries of just being in a fallen world. Mm -hmm. You know, and it's sad. And I think that's why we all long for heaven where they, we don't have to endure that kind of thing anymore. Yeah, there are consequences just because of the fact of where we live and the time we live and all of the circumstances around us. And uh, yes, our it's, it's a strange thing. And yes, we can say sin causes these things, but it's not necessarily my sins that cause things on me. It's other people's sins that cause things on me and my sins yeah. that cause things on other people. Yeah. Well, Think of it, too, from the perspective of the natural world. You know, I mean, as a veterinarian, I see it all the time. These creatures are innocent. They, um, you know, they're completely innocent. Well, I mean, there's a few bad dogs, let's face it. But, um, <laughs> but for, you know, really, things that happen to them have nothing to do with them. It has to do with the fact that, mm. you know, humankind allowed Satan to become the ruler of this world. And now everything yes. suffers. Tremendous suffering has come upon the world because of that. And it's almost like we asked chaos to rule over us. And when we read the Gospels, we're finally seeing, okay, this is what the kingdom of God looks like. There's healing, there's rebirth, there's all these good things, abundance of food, nobody starves, you know, those kind of things. But it's a glimpse. It's just a glimpse. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. All right, well... When Jesus does show up and asks him this question, the man, obviously, he's been sitting here at this pool and he's been waiting and hoping for some, oh, 
grand, miraculous, and yes, of course, miraculous, but um, a spectacle, I guess you could say. He's been hoping for a spectacle that would make him well. And I love the way Jesus doesn't do things the same way ever, it seems. Um, we haven't, I don't think we've gotten there yet, but I, I, there's a time when he heals a blind man and he does this weird thing about spitting in the, in the dirt and making mud and putting it on his eyes and stuff. And then, and, you know, the guy is healed from that. And there's other things where it's like the spectacle. But in this case, Jesus simply tells him, get up, take your mat and walk. Just, just get up. And, uh, I don't know that it makes me smile a bit because knowing this man was hoping for this big spectacle, maybe expecting it. And Jesus just subverts that idea completely by just get up, just get up and walk. Well, I think he'd lived so long in, in waiting for the big show. Yeah. And it's like, God was just simply telling him, I don't need all the fanfare. Mm -hmm. I could just do this by simply saying it. So get up. Yeah. Yeah. That never dawned on me before. That's really cool. <laughs> I think, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Maybe it was just this reading in it, but I was, but I was just sitting in about that. It's like, you know, this guy's been sitting here for maybe, maybe he's been here for 38 years. I kind of doubt it, but he's probably been here for a while and, you know, hoping for this, hoping for this grand thing to happen. And Jesus is basically like, you know what? This could have been so much, it's, it's so much easier than what you're making it out to be. This, what you guys were mentioning before about this question, like, do you want to get well? That seems like such a weird question, but I, I have spent so many years working with people and I remember my dad. Okay. So my dad was a pastor and I remember one time he said to me, when I was a young minister, I had to learn not to solve people's problems too quickly hmm. because they were fully enmeshed with that problem. That's the way he described it. And he said, my, they would come to me with something they had maybe struggled with for years. And I would, before they were even done describing it, like I could think of a thing from the Bible that would help them. And so I would just blurt it out. And they would be they would be offended, like it actually put them off, like it was an oversimplification of these years of struggle. So it was almost annoying when somebody else was just like, well, do this. Right. So then that always stuck in my head when I was a kid. Well, then fast forward a number of years and I was going into um, I was up when I lived in Alaska, I was going into training. To do um, massage. Right. And so now we're talking about physical pain. And my teacher, without ever meeting my father, basically said the same thing. She said, when someone comes to see you, now she pulled me aside to say this. So this was a very, this was not like a general teaching to the class. This was a specific teaching from her with 30 years of experience to me. And she said, be careful how quickly you take away someone's pain. People love their pain. They've earned it. So the way I've come to understand that over the years is people identify with their pain, right? It proves that they're strong. It proves that they're a survivor. It proves that they're a victim. And so someone owes them something because they've been wronged. It proves whatever mentality they've bought into and created as them. And it can actually be tricky. Like if you ask them, 
do you want to be healed? Would you like to be rid of this pain? The answer will be yes. But if you actually set about removing that pain or that problem, you will meet resistance often, which is why the way Jesus goes about ministry is so interesting to me. Like sometimes he handles people's physical problems first. Sometimes he offers them salvation. Think about the guy that they let down through the roof, right? Like his four, he's paralyzed. His friends try to bring him to see Jesus, but the crowd is so thick. So they climb up on the roof and they take the roof apart and let him down through the roof in front of Jesus. And Jesus forgives his sins. He doesn't mm -hmm. even, he doesn't even address the fact that he's paralyzed and four friends had to carry him. He forgives his sins. Son, your sins are forgiven you. What? That's his first thing. You know, mm -hmm. it's just fascinating, you know, that that divine insight into human nature and addressing what needs to be addressed first. It is. It is fascinating. Incidentally, Karen, oh. if I ever come to you and I have I'm complaining about a pain, you could take it away. It's fine. Yeah. Is that fine? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's fine. You could do it instantly. I'll be OK with it because I don't want it. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead, Tracy. No, I think it is. I think it just it, it becomes your persona. Yeah, you know, oh, we've seen it. That's yeah. what you're known for. Mm hmm. Yep. Yeah, no, I can I, I can sort of identify with that. I mean, I don't I don't know if I'm that way. Maybe I am more than I think. But, you know, when you express, I guess, probably in a lot of ways and times I have been, you express uh, a concern about something and somebody will point out what ought to be a simple answer. A lot of times it's like, oh, yeah, but yeah, but yeah, mm -hmm. but. You know, it's always the yeah, buts instead of the, oh, okay, you know, and uh, yeah. So anyway, See, yeah. You know, but I think I think you keyed in on something really, really major. There is that the person by Bethesda did not have a yeah, but he didn't say. He said, "Do you want to be made well, mm -hmm. sir? I have no man to put me into the pool." Where it says, yes, I want to be healed, but that wasn't even there anymore. Mm. Yeah, he was past the yeah, but he was just, it can't happen. See, and I, <laughs> I think that's I think that's a major point in the story. That's what I keep, I have underlined in my notes over and over, is that there was no response. Mm -hmm. There was no, yes, Jesus, I want to be healed. It was directly to the to the excuse. Yeah, it just, it just isn't going to happen. He you know, just and, resigned. And, yeah. Yeah. And, and part of me, is that the feeling when people are, you know, say that I have no hope? Yeah. We see and people, that's what Jesus came to do. He came to reestablish that hope. Yeah. We see people a lot of times you can, they, they've just given up. They've given up. And uh, you want to try to encourage them. You want to try to get them to have the hope and they just, they won't grasp onto it. They won't, they won't accept it. But so it is very interesting the way Jesus so simply takes care of the problem. Just rise, take up your bed, and walk. Now there's a problem with that, though. Because as usual, there's people watching. And they <laughs> see this man walking. And as it happens, this was on a Sabbath. And these men tell him, it is the Sabbath. It is not lawful you lawful for you to carry your bed uh so this you know this guy's just following instructions from the guy who healed him he rolls up you know when they say bed it's not like you're carrying a queen-size mattress over your shoulder you're it's you know probably a little more like a almost more like a yoga mat or something but he 
probably rolled it up and was picking it up and walking away. And and here come these, I assume, Pharisees. And, um, you know, they're berating him for not following the rules that they had placed on Sabbath to try to keep people in line, keeping that law that uh, that they that the people hadn't in the past before everybody got exiled. And this man is just like the guy who healed me told me to do it. And he didn't know who had healed him. He had no idea. You know, you were somebody who's asking earlier, did he have faith in Jesus? This would indicate to me possibly he hadn't even heard of Jesus yet. Doesn't yeah. mean he hadn't doesn't mean he hadn't been praying. Doesn't mean he didn't have faith. But faith in yeah. God. Yeah, faith in God. Right. But not a Messiah standing in front of him last though. Right, right. Seems like he didn't even know who Jesus was. And so that really speaks to what you were saying earlier, Amy, where Jesus generally seems to use his healing and miracles for people who are new to the faith or being introduced to the faith. And that's an interesting aspect of that. I'm going to have to keep my eyes open and and pay attention to that. I mean, sometimes I think established people can witness miracles too, have, you know, um, but maybe you're right. Maybe more often than not, it is for people who are being introduced. That's something I'm going to have to contemplate and think about. What if I cover my eyes and pretend I don't know? Then can I have some healing? <laughs> sure, you can fool God that way. Because I'm feeling a little left out here. <laughs> it's like uh, it's like the when you had the cell phone plan for ten years, and then they have the the nice cheap plan for the for the new people. Right. <laughs> yeah, I'll just I'll just yeah I'll pretend I don't know. Just I need to. Yeah, but but I do think there's an element of truth to that because our established faith shouldn't need, you know, a bunch of fancy things to keep it going. Mm -hmm. You know, dynamic demonstrations of God's power. Yeah. Our faith should be solid enough that we, we don't require that to catch or keep our attention. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you know, there's a bit of a danger in that and thinking that way too much because then it kind of feels like a bait and switch. And I don't think God is a bait and switch type of guy. No. But, but he's think, a character representation guy, and consistent, certainly. steady love is not the same thing as I'm out to woo you, love. Right. Well, sure. Yeah, absolutely. You know, the the husband who brings his wife flowers two weeks after getting married, but then doesn't when they've been married for 30, 40 years, uh, does he love his wife less or was, you know, or is there, you know, uh, uh, that wooing, that newness, the, uh, you know, I don't know. Just, uh, what are you saying about yourself? What are you saying about your romance habits there, Matt? I'm a terrible mm -hmm. husband. I'm an awful human being and I'm a typical I'm a typical man. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> groveling groveling is not attractive. <laughs> no, no, probably not. <laughs> you know, on the one hand, yeah, we can become uh, cavalier or think in terms of, um, well, you know, that kind of stuff just doesn't happen, but there is an alternative side to that, which is unhealthy. I think I had an uncle who was very, very much, uh, into miracles and was constantly seeing, uh, what he perceived as miracles around him, but he needed, it was almost like an addiction. Um, you know, cause he would go to these churches that had like continuous faith healings and that sort of thing, but he was a very bad man. Like mm. he, he wouldn't work. He wouldn't take care of his children. He was abusive. He was, but he was addicted to like the, like a spiritual high. Um, 
But I remember thinking, but the Bible clearly says a man who would not work is worse than the heathen. And a man who will not work should not eat. I mean, and so it, it bothered me a lot because he, in my, like, I, I sound like a creep, but, but I also, as a child, realized that this person who seemed so spiritual and who used Jesus' name all the time was unkind and didn't provide for his kids. And it made me really angry. Yeah, there's an aspect of things of getting, getting caught up in expecting, wanting something to happen, but not, you know, if we think of it in a covenant aspect, you know, you want the other guy to, to hold up their end of the bargain, but then you're not holding up yours. And Well, uh, I guess the other way of my experience, though, in the church is that people who are truly following God you know, they, there is a sense in which they become righteous, like Jesus changes us. Mm-hmm. And so over time, people who are truly following him become trustworthy and kind, and they look out for the orphan and the fatherless, and they work really hard. And I don't know, there is, well, and this is addressed later in the chapter, you know, verse 14, you know, Jesus heals him first, but then mm-hmm. he says, uh, sin no more. And, you know, there it is again. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, I think I think too that's a that's a good point that you brought up, and it's a slippery slope because I have that here in my notes too. It's it's righteous versus self righteous. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It, yeah, we, we have the ability to go either way, and I think if you look at fourteen, you can see that. Yeah, you know what I mean because I think that's that's one of the things that that tends to happen is that. You know, ultimately, you want to follow God. You want to keep your eyes focused on on God, and you be and you do, um, like Amy said. You know, you get that righteousness part about you, where you do feed the homeless, you do clothe the naked, you do, you know, um, the things that you're supposed to do. But then there's also that self side that, if not if not guarded against, will take over, and then it becomes the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, and if you think you're the one doing it. You know, where the scriptures are very clear that the Holy Spirit has to do that work in you. Um, and then you'll be like, oh, I should do that. Um, versus, oh, I want people to see me doing cool things, you know, or whatever. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I have a note here, Matt, <clears throat> mm-hmm. on verse 14. I had written to myself, see John 14, 30. And in John 14, Jesus is talking about the fact that Satan is... He says, the prince of this world comes, but he has nothing in me. Um, And that verse jumped out to Mm. me as I was reading this, because Jesus saw sin as us allowing Satan to have lordship over us. And that's Jesus's perspective. I mean, Romans chapter six says, sin shall not have dominion over you. And so we have to look at these verses. We have to look at the way Jesus looks at sin. So Jesus doesn't look at sin and say, well, you don't want to be self-righteous. He looks at sin and says, this will kill you. And it's the way that Satan takes control of you. And cling to me and I'll set you free. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and, and if I can add to that, I think the reason that it is hard for us to obey, I think that the reason that it can be difficult for us to get out of sin and into what God says is that we are so, we've never seen anything other than the world. We've never seen what it looks like to be without sin. We've never seen life without the fallout from sin, like what we were talking about earlier. We don't even know what that looks like. 
it's a it's a concept in our head. It's an ideal that sounds wonderful. I can't even conceive of it. Like I can't I can't conceive of it. I can't conceive of what a body without flaws, a brain without flaws, a life without flaws, a world without flaws. I don't even know. All it is is some weird idea in my head that I like. But because it's not something I've ever actually been able to put my hands on or achieve, it is it is surprisingly difficult to let go of things that God says flat out, don't do that. Because in my personal experience, looking at it through my subjective lens, I don't have a reason to. I'm supposed to let go of a known that I want in order to have an unknown that I've never even seen work. And it gets a little nebulous. And that's where I think that's where faith comes in, is you have to you have to trust his perspective and you have to distrust your own. Both of those are difficult. Mm-hmm. Yes, that's well spoken. Well, there's another aspect of verse 14 that immediately triggered a response in my brain. And that was what about uh, John 9 verses 2 and 3 when um, we're talking about a man who was born blind. And people ask, um, let's see, this is jumping forward and we'll, we'll, we'll end up coming back to this eventually. But um, his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. You know, that to me would indicate that, you know what, like we were saying before, your the things that happened to you may not be about your sins. But yet this man at mm-hmm. Bethesda, he says, sin no more, lest a worse thing come upon you. So how do yeah. we balance? How do we balance that? I mean, are, do our sins bring bad things on us or do they not? Or is it situational? I tend to think situational. A lot of things are situational. But it's interesting that at one point he says, no, this isn't his fault. And in another place, it sort of indicates that you maybe, maybe you had some culpability here. Well, one of the things that always jumps out to me when I'm reading Bible stories is the unique way that God approaches each thing. Like if you think back to the Old Testament, There was never a time when the Israelites went into the promised land where they were given the same formula for taking over some area of the promised land, right? It was always different. Now you're going to do this. Now you're going to do that. And, and I think that's, and that's, I believe that that is to keep people's faith active. When you get to the new Testament and Jesus is here and he's walking around amongst everybody, he addresses each person exactly how they need to be addressed. Now, is is that necessarily something I can take and apply to myself? Maybe, maybe not today, maybe in five years, I would read that same text and I would go, oh, that's me, right? And that's why I think of the word of God as described as living, the living word, right? But like, here's here's an example. You guys remember the uh, the story of the the rich young ruler who comes to Jesus and he says, he says, what must I do to have eternal life? And Jesus says, well, you have to keep the law. And he lists off five, um, let's see, so the the Ten Commandments, there's the first four apply to how we interact with God, right? And the last Mm -hmm. six apply to how we interact with other humans. That's, That's our relational structure. He lists off five of the six that ask us to interact with humans in a certain way. And instead of saying out loud, you shall not covet. 
he says, you should love your neighbor as yourself. Mm -hmm. Okay. So he grows, he goes for the broad philosophy rather than the specifics of thou shalt not covet. And the rich young ruler says, well, I've done all these things. And then Jesus, you know, comes in for the kill and says, all right, well, if you truly want to be perfect, then go and sell everything you have and give the proceeds to the poor. Right. And in doing that, he he nails that individual right where he needs to be nailed. Now, does that mean that he would say the same thing to each one of us if we stood before him? Yeah, maybe, maybe not. But, but, but my point is, I don't think that we need to take what he says to this young man as a universal statement to every person in every time in every situation. Does that make sense? Yeah. So that's the situation that we are finding here where Jesus is um, very, it's just an interesting story about healing, about faith, about the way God works differently at different times. Um, you know, we've just seen a lot of things here about the way Jesus is working and interacting with different people. And it's raising the hackles of the Jewish leaders. He's really pounding on hitting traditions. We're, we're, I think we're going to pull away for this week because there's so much left in John 5. Plus, uh, Karen and Amy have to leave early today. And I don't want to try to fit everything all into one section because we'll just end up with either too long of an episode or we'll be we'll be trying to jam so much stuff into a small space that that it won't be good either so i think next week we're going to pick it up in john 5 again we'll probably just finish john 5 in our next episode uh, and we'll see we'll see some of the reactions from the jewish leaders and then Jesus' reaction to to those jewish leaders and it's really interesting stuff so rather rather than Rather than rush it, we will, uh, I think, just take a break right here. So next week, we're just going to pick it up in John chapter 5, oh, around verse uh, 16 or so. And you can be reading that, studying that. It's really good stuff. Well, so with that, remember that you can reach us at attvpodcast at theadventure.org. Remember, you can look us up on Facebook. Please be sure to share the podcast with your friends and family and make sure that you subscribe to the podcast so we reach you in your feed each and every week. And we look forward to talking to you again next week. Thanks for listening.